You are listening to Move With Radiance with Stephanie Dankelson, a podcast all about redefining your relationship to exercise, food, and your body by learning how to first redefine the relationship with yourself. Are you ready to discover your inner truth, your inner radiance? Because we all deserve to feel at home in our bodies. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Move with Radiance. I'm so excited you all are here. Uh, This week, I'm bringing you another guest episode, this time with Amy Smith to talk about all things people-pleasing because I've gotten so many requests from you all to dig into that particular topic. (laughs) And before we dive in, I just wanted to share a few things with you all. Um, So... I've been trying this new thing and it's been really helpful. So I wanted to make sure you guys knew about this, but I have been, so I don't know if it's just because I'm getting more and more in tune with my body and my emotionality, but recently within the past few months, I've really been able to tell when something is inside of me is like activated and needs to be moved through. And Um, I think I mentioned this before, and so it's kind of goes along with this, but, um, and and we'll talk about this in this episode too, but emotions are just energy in motion. And so often we just tend to push it all down. You you hear me talk about this all the time, but we push and push and push and push. And then I I would always explode at some point just because I, I haven't been dealing with my emotionality. And so I started processing it. And some of the ways that have been really helping me is, um, screaming into pillows. And I know that sounds crazy, but it really helps move stuff through me and out of me. Um, and so it's like, I scream into pillows and then I put on music and I just dance. And there's something so beautiful about just moving so intuitively and whatever that looks like. It, just getting it out and letting yourself be expressive and just intuitive and just express whatever needs to move through you. And that's, those are just two things I've been doing sort of together, um, either screaming or punching pillows. I think sometimes, you know, stuff during the week or lately I've just been feeling a little irritable. (laughs) So I'm like, I think there's some anger or something in there that I haven't really been processing. So I've been screaming, punching pillows, and then just dancing. Um, and it's been such a cool way to, I just feel so peaceful. And like, sometimes I cry and just whatever comes up, comes up and I just allow it to be there. And it's just been really, really helpful in, um, just bringing me back to the present and centering me and helping me process things that I once didn't know how to process. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you because, um, it's been helpful for me. So maybe it'll be helpful for some of you. And if you try it, let me know how it goes. Um, I believe in this episode, we talk about anger as well, and, um, we do dig into emotions. And so this will be a good, uh, combination of info (laughs) 
Um, and then one other thing I wanted to let you guys know, I am actually going to be taking full-time paying clients starting mid-April. So if, if you're struggling with the relationship you have to food and your body and exercise, if you're tired of feeling like you're not enough, if you're people pleasing or perfectionism tendencies and, you know, food and exercise tend to fall into that perfectionism or trying to get everything right. Um, if, if you're just tired of fighting with yourself around food and body, I would love to work with you. So if you're interested, more information will be coming. But if you know that you're interested or you want more information, you want to schedule a 30-minute discovery call with me, send me an email. The link for my email is also in the show notes, but it's hello at stephanie-dankelson.com. We'll set up a conversation and figure out if working together would be the best fit. So with all of that, let's dig into today's episode. Today's episode features Amy Smith at the Joy Junkie is her Instagram handle. And we dig into people pleasing and what that means, core beliefs and how to shift our worthiness wounds, how to stop playing the when then game, taking action towards our goals in a healthy way, acceptance and what that means, how to not place our worth in the external or in our results, allowing the space to just feel rather than avoiding our emotions, taking emotional responsibility and so much more. Um, I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. And before I do that, let me tell you a little bit more about Amy. Smith is a certified confidence coach, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert. Founder of thejoyjunkie.com, Amy uses her role as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-love. With acute focus on helping people find their voice, she is highly sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor, and has been featured on Fox 5, San Diego, and YourTango.com. I really hope you enjoy this conversation, and here is Amy. Amy, welcome. Hi! I'm so excited to hang out. I am too. I, I feel like we have a lot of really, really awesome things to dig into today, and I'm super excited to pick your brain. Cool! <laughs> pick away. Um, and I'm so honored that you wanted to take your time to to talk with me and, and my audience. And I'm just super grateful. So thank you. Oh. <laughs> well, I think the more this message can get out, the better. And it's, you know, we're in a really interesting place in our society where I think people who, particularly women who've been silenced for so long are starting to realize, oh, I can speak up for myself. And so hopefully today we'll talk a lot about what that really looks like. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So Amy, I like to have all of my guests just, I like to hear it from you. Um, if you could just tell us a little bit about you and your work and, and why you're doing what you're doing, I think that would be a great place to start. Cool. Well, I have been involved in personal development for, gosh, going on 15 years now. I went to coaching school in the early 2000s. And there was a real kind of pivotal moment that happened for me. I was actually already involved in personal development, but I was very early and young in it when my father passed away in 2007. And that really was a a pivotal moment that shifted 
what I do now. So a little bit of context, I grew up in a very conservative, born-again Christian family. My father had a master's in divinity and a doctorate in ministry. So he was definitely not fucking around. And, you know, so I grew up now in hindsight with a lot of the work and stuff that I've done on letting go a lot of the guilt and fear from the dogma that I was raised under. Now that I look back, it it does feel like there was a lot of cultish elements to the way in which I was raised. So I've had to contend with that quite a bit, but just wanted to give you a little bit of context there around dealing now with my family. So at the time of my father's passing, I was also doing makeup at the time. So that was kind of the career that I had prior to getting involved in, in what I do now. And so I knew that I for sure was going to be doing his makeup for his viewing, Mm. like mortuary makeup on my dead father. Right. And so I knew for sure. And so I, I do that. I speak at the service that, you know, do the eulogy to hundreds of people So it's been a taxing day to say the very least, despite, you know, not to mention mourning the loss of my father, who, who I was extremely close with. I get back home to my, to my mom's house and I forget really what transpired or led her to say this, but she, she said, it just feels like we failed as parents. And I was like, what? You know, and, oh, it just, it just, just feels like we failed because you aren't walking with the Lord. You and your brothers are not walking with the Lord. And the only thing I could kind of muster in that moment with all of the grief and all of the, you know, the sort of mirage I felt like I was living in, I said, well, you probably shouldn't say that to a child, (laughs) you know, like you're a disappointment essentially. And she said, well, that's just how I feel. And I think that really cracked something open for me at that moment because I realized, okay, I am at a precipice here of where I can decide to make you happy at the total cost of self, or I can allow you to actually be disappointed in me and walk away from that and say, if you're going to, if you don't approve of me, that's going to have to be fine because I approve of me. So, but really up until that point, I had really twisted and contorted and tried to show up in a way where maybe we didn't talk about religion quite as much. And it wasn't as evident that I didn't, didn't subscribe to that doctrine any longer. And then the trajectory beyond that point, I became extremely combative. So it was like, once I opened this floodgates of, okay, now I can speak up. Now I can say, hey, I don't believe in that anymore. I wanted to contest everything. I wanted to talk about gay rights. I wanted to talk about astrology. And I wanted to talk about all these things that I knew would be really problematic for her. And it wasn't until a few years of that and having some really acrimonious blowouts with her that I went, Oh, I can actually speak up for myself without being an asshole. I can actually convey what I have to say and stand behind that without being so biting and vitriolic. And that really informed the work that I do now. So essentially what I do with people is twofold. It's this internal work of believing in your own intrinsic value and your own worthiness, your enoughness, that you are a valuable human to actually speak up. 
And then the external component of what does that sound like? Like, what does it really sound like to ask your in-laws to stop feeding your children a bunch of food that you don't want them to eat? What does it sound like to ask your adult children to move out of the house? What does it sound like to ask for a divorce? What does it sound like to tell somebody, stop touching my pregnant belly? That's fucking offensive. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Without being, you know, a dick about it. So that really has become what I do in this world is, is sort of that internal piece of believing in value. And then the external piece of how do I communicate that to the, to the outside world? Mm, Yes. So many good things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, one of the things that you said was, um, the worthiness piece and believing that I'm worthy enough to speak the things that I actually want to be talking about. And I think a lot of people today have these worthiness wounds that they're battling with, and they're trying to heal those wounds externally when I think that that conversation needs to be happening within. And then we can start speaking our, our truth because we've healed those wounds. So how can we start looking at those worthiness wounds and believing that we're worthy so that we can start speaking our truth? Like how do we start going inward for those types of things? Well, so the deal with however you view your worth, or a lot of times I'll use that synonymously with value or enoughness, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody has a different uh, descriptor. What that is, is essentially a belief. And so you typically either believe that you are worthy or you don't believe you're really worthy. You believe you're enough or you don't believe you're enough, or it might be nuanced. It might be, I feel really confident in my workplace, but I don't feel enough in my physicality. Like I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not fit enough. Right. But you might feel really confident in your marriage. So sometimes it's a nuance of uh, what area of your life you don't feel enough in. And I know you speak a lot to sort of the uh, body conscious uh, community and looking at diet culture and things like that. So a lot of times it it is around our, our physicality, but what that is, is essentially a belief. And so whether, in fact, you might've heard the quote, whether you believe you can or you can't either way, you're right. Mm -hmm. So it's the same way of whether you believe you are enough or you're not enough, either way, you're right. Because we are the person who dictates sort of that governing belief that, that we operate under. So nobody has the authority to say to you, you are in fact not enough. Now, some of us, may have gone through that where we have had lovers or teachers or bosses or any number of people who have verbatim said you are not enough. And then we attach to that circumstance and adopt it as truth. And then it becomes that belief that we operate under. And then that belief, what happens is it starts to infiltrate all your self-talk. So every single thing that you go for, it's, it's, it's almost like the roots of the tree are that belief that you aren't valuable enough. So that informs all of your self-talk. It informs what you go after, what you don't choose to do, what you do choose to do, the, what you tolerate inside of relationships. So how the fuck do we change it? That's the big question, right? But if we look at the way any sort of belief has ever been changed, it starts with questioning it. So if we take an, a real extreme uh, example, like people who come out of cults, let's say, 
The first thing that they had to do before they broke out of these very rigid dogmatic viewpoints about life is they had to start questioning it and going, wait a minute, maybe it's not right that I can't see any of my friends and family. Maybe it isn't right that I am not allowed to consume any media. Maybe it's not right that I have to wear these certain things, right? It starts with that questioning. So I don't assume that anybody out there is going to be able to say, oh, you know what? You're right, Amy. I'm just going to totally believe I'm enough. I don't think that's how it works. I think that's an A to Z. I think we need to do more of an A to B. So what I would encourage everybody to do is start taking on the question of, what if I didn't have to prove worthiness? What if my worth was already substantiated just by the fact that I'm human? It wasn't something I could lose. What if everything else is just the human experience? So if I do get rejected in a situation, if somebody doesn't love me, that can hurt. But what if that didn't have to mean I'm not lovable? What if I could untangle that collapse? And I deal with a lot of people who are, who are high achievers, overachievers, perfectionists, and it is so much of their self-worth, I know it's similar for you, is collapsed into those external achievements and the checking off of the boxes. And it's like, what if those could just be goals? What if those could either be something you're proud of or something that you're disappointed by? We just have human emotion. What if none of that had anything to do with your worth? So that's what I would offer to everybody as sort of that A to B is just start questioning what if those two things, my worth and my goals, what if those are separate and they don't have to be married together? So you can even take just a question like that. Like what if worth was something that was already intrinsically mine and I didn't have to fight for it? Write that at the top of a journal and just see what comes out for you because it's likely that you'll figure out very quickly what you attach your worth to. Yeah. So something that um, I also have been working on is because it is, I feel like, you know, people, we say like, you decide your worth, but yeah, a lot of times it's like from A to Z and one day you just don't wake up and you're like, I'm worthy. It's especially for however many years of your life you've believed that you weren't, it's not an overnight change. And so something that I practice too is using the sentence, I am in the process of believing I am enough so that it's a little less of a like huge shift for your body, right? Um, and, and going in that motion where it's, you're slowly building upon what you actually want to be. Um, and I, so this is actually funny. I gave up social media for a month, the, the month of October. And, um, I was like, I'm tired of feeling icky about this. I'm, I'm always turning to my phone and I gave it up and was still feeling icky about it. And so the more I sat with it, I realized that I was still living from this belief of I will never have enough. And I was using social media as my validating piece for, you know, content and all this kind of stuff. And so it's just such a true testament that just changing the behavior isn't mm-hmm. going to shift whatever it is, that core belief that is, is driving all of those things. Yeah. You know, so a couple of things, first of all, what you mentioned at the very beginning about 
saying I'm on my way to, that's something that I call progressive language. So to, instead of saying a mantra in the mirror, like I am worthy or I believe in my enoughness, saying something like I am open to exploring what value means or what worthiness means, something that is again, more progressive instead of I either am enough or I'm not enough. Because a lot of times both of those are hard to, to swallow. Regarding what you're talking about with behavior, I think that it's a synergy between what you say and what you consume and what you think. So I do think that behavior has a huge piece in the matter. And what you did, I think, is a really great example of setting yourself up for success. Does it mean that it's impossible to look at social media and still believe that you're valuable? No, of course you can. Of course that's still possible. But I usually will equate that to the idea of if you are trying to get sober, let's say, you don't go and just hang out at the bar and be like, well, I'm just going to hang out here and make your job a shit ton harder. So the same is true if you know that following all these fitness accounts or following all of these happy couples or whatever it is really makes your job a lot harder. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean anything actually about that other person or anything like that, or that you're not strong enough. It just means I'm setting myself up for success. Is that all that I need to do? No, you still have internal work to do. You still have to journal. You still have to talk to people and like work with a coach or therapist. But yeah, your behavior can be a huge piece of the puzzle. Not all of it, but yeah, a huge piece. Right. Totally. And so it, there's just, I think, so this is, I see this a lot with a lot of the people that I come across and, um, they say, I want to be confident. I want to feel good with myself. And so I'm going to lose weight. And they totally put all of that in that piece of it. Um, And I think that sure, there's certain things that can help bring you confidence, but I really feel like it's an internal job. Um, and I know this kind of has to do with like, I know we were on the worthiness piece, but I know you talk a lot about building confidence. And so I was curious just because I see that so much where it's like, when I lose weight, then I will be confident, but can we just be confident now? Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is really interesting because that's, that's kind of where we put our happiness in the future destination instead of allowing ourselves to actually be happy and fulfilled now while we are on our way to achieving something that's important to us. So I will never ever tell somebody like, don't achieve or don't desire another degree or don't have a specific agility training that you want to accomplish. I'll never tell anybody don't desire that. But I will say, be very careful on collapsing that with your value. One of the things that people overlook and don't realize is that when you are confident or when you do really love who you are, the journey to get to that overall goal is so much more fun because you're actually motivating yourself through confidence and happiness and fulfillment instead of berating yourself and talking about how shitty you are, how fat you look, or you know, so-and-so is so much better. So you can actually enjoy the journey. Here's where I think behavior comes into play. Yeah. Because we, what we are essentially doing is rewiring neural pathways, the way in which you rewire a neural pathway is through repetition. It can be through repetition of thought. 
And it can also be repetition with behavior. For instance, when you first learned how to drive a car, you have to think about everything, right? Like you have to, are my mirrors there? Did I do my turn signal? Did I do all of these things? Now, 20, 30 fucking years later, do you ever have to really think about it? No, it's become wired into your body. So that pathway has become ingrained through repetition. So that's what we don't realize is a lot of times we think I'll be, I'll be so happy and I'll be so confident once I have that thriving fitness practice. But what we don't realize is the confidence happens by putting yourself out there and doing those scary things and working with clients and doing those things over and over and over again. And then you build confidence. Now, I do think that there's an external piece of the behavior, but that also has to be fueled by repetition of thought. And that will also create repetition of emotion and feeling. So at the same time that you are doing the repetition of behavior and actually putting yourself in fear's way and going after the things that you want, you also have to have repetition of positive self-talk and positive ways in which you're fueling your mind. Because you can't just have one or the other, right? You can't just have repetition of thought and not do anything, right? Otherwise, you're just daydreaming. You're just meditating forever with no action. And you can't have just action without really nailing your thought process because now all you're doing is tasks and checking off boxes with no fulfillment. So one of the things when I went to coaching school that they would always talk about is forward the action, deepening the learning. Mm. So it's forward the action, but it's not just action. It's also deepening the learning, what's happening for you internally. So it's both components, I think. Yeah, hundred percent. I talk about um, acceptance and a lot of people are like, I can't accept where I'm at right now because I don't like who I am or I don't like where I'm at. I need to be you know, at this, this point in the journey in order for me to like who I am. But you also can't shame your way into anything. And so if you're moving through this journey, but you're berating yourself, like you said, and you have all of this negativity and you hate yourself and you're showering yourself with all of these things, I don't think you can get very far because you're constantly motivated by fear. And so if you can replace that with how can i how can i love just one part of me today or instead of having that thought of shame you know you can recognize it and then say actually i'm going to choose to have this thought that actually fuels the goal that i want to have and so i love that you say reinforce that positive self talk because i don't think i think also like acceptance doesn't mean you have to settle for something it That's just right. means you can move forward with love. I think a lot of times people equate acceptance with complacency. Yes. And they think if I love myself now, I'm never going to actually, I'm never going to accomplish those goals. I'm never going to actually lose the weight or start the business or find the lover or whatever it is. And I really want to underline that hating yourself is not the only way to motivate. Now, it definitely is a motivator. I mean, we can see that. But problem with it is that it feels like shit. It's a, there's a reason why you're still not happy. So one of the arguments that I will use oftentimes with that situation when people really dig their heels in, I'm like, good, how has that been working? Right? Like, why are we here then? And there's another 
piece of that, again, that neural pathway, the firing and the synapses that are happening in your nervous system, know how to talk shit to yourself. You know how to be a perfectionist. You know how to be a people pleaser. So that pathway is is well-worn. So it's going to feel clunky and awkward to start trying to shift down to another path where there's all these shrubs and bushes and you've got to go through there with your machete and try to get through it. But at the beginning, it feels really hard until you wear that path down and let the other one of self-hate overgrow with wood or you know brush and shrubs and such. So there's a very strong reason why, I mean, even from our chemical makeup, why you have kickback around change. It's like if we were to take the car analogy, if we all of a sudden needed to learn how to drive stick or we are driving in Europe and need to drive on the opposite side, there is going to be a learning curve, right? That's exactly what's happening when you are moving from a place of self-loathing to a place of self-worth or self-confidence. So of course there's kickback because it's uncomfortable and it's new. But what you have to remember is that getting past that little hurdle and where it's really clunky and awkward is worth it in service of where you want to get and how you want to feel about yourself. And then all the goals and all of that stuff is no no brainer. You can still accomplish all of that stuff. You're just going to have a much better time doing it. Yeah. 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 And I always say too, like, if we come from that place of I'm, I, and you, you're working on that self-love and you're working on that acceptance piece and you're working on that worthiness stuff internally, then everything else externally can just be bonus and added value because you're already in, like, you don't need anything else to validate you or make you feel good. And so, yes, you can then just start reaching these goals and it's all just added value because you're not placing your worth and whether or not you do those things, it's all just added value. And it just comes from a much better place of, you just feel so much better with the journey. And it's like, why, why else are we here on this earth? Like, I don't feel like we were designed to struggle, but because our society and the way we've been brought up, it's, it's been our just natural way to be addicted to the suffering, to be addicted to the struggle. And so I think if, yeah, we can just get into that place of light and love, life is so much easier. (laughs) Well, you know, something that you mentioned, I think is really important to kind of underline because I think, you know, when you were saying everything else becomes this added bonus, I think that I like to call it everything else becomes the human experience Mm. because there will be times where things are amazing and you really can celebrate and you feel grateful and euphoric and joy. But then there's other times when maybe you, you get passed over for the promotion or you do get rejected or dumped just because you learn how to love yourself or just because you feel confident does not mean you are void of the breadth of human emotion. So that means that when you get rejected or when the hardship does come, it's going to carry emotion. So I'll give you an example. I do a community theater in my spare time and uh, I was doing a show and I really, really, really wanted a specific role. And I prepped for it and I really put my best foot forward. I felt like I was a really great choice for the role and I didn't get it. And I was disappointed. And so the next day, despite all of my confidence, despite loving the woman that I am, I was sad Mm -hmm. because there was something that I wanted that I did not get. 
where somebody said, not you, I got rejected. In their eyes, I wasn't good enough. So in that scenario, does that have to mean I'll never act again or I'm horrible or... No, it means this situation sucks. I don't suck. So I think that there's also this uh, misconception that once you really learn all of these tools and once you really do love the person that you are, that you're going to be void of hardship. It's not that. It's that you contend with hardship in a much more powerful way. So now, for instance, if somebody gives me all of these compliments or, oh my gosh, your work has transformed my life, I can accept that. That yields a positive emotion, right? It feels amazing. And I know that doesn't dictate my worth. The same way, if I'm rejected, it feels shitty, it hurts, I need to just feel it, but that also doesn't dictate my worth. So it's allowing your worthiness to kind of stand outside of emotional context, right? And mm-hmm. that's, that's hard for us to do because we go, I feel shitty, I must be shitty. Yes, well, in this world of always needing to be happy, like, I feel like that's the vibe everyone communicates. We feel these, I'm using it, shitty emotions, right. but, and then we decide like, I'm bad for this. I'm wrong for this. I can't feel these things. But just like right. you said, when we have this loving relationship with ourselves, it's okay to have those feelings. Like we're allowed to experience them. They become part of the human experience. And right. I feel like when you have this, this knowing of worthiness inside of you, you trust yourself to experience those emotions. You know that like, this is just part of it. I'm going to feel it and then I'm going to move on. It's not, I'm not going to get stuck here. I can trust myself to experience these things. That's right. I mean, emotions are just fleeting. And I, I really feel like when I look at all of the atrocities and things that are happening in our world, to me, it almost all distills down to the freedom to feel what we feel. I think that we're constantly told not to feel mm. emotion. And I mean, think about we, you know, to get ahead, it, you need to act in more of a strong, assertive, more, you know, tra- traditionally masculine perspective of, you know, you can't cry. And we teach our boys, you know, that, that that's weak. And we have monikers like being a pussy and things like that. I think that if we really, truly fostered feeling what we feel in a healthy way, we would realize that most of our problems could be solved. And second, that they're fleeting. They don't stay around. So I look at emotions as messaging the same way you might have physical pain and you touch fire and it's like, oh, ouch, that's okay. Lesson learned. My hand cannot touch that. The same thing is true when we feel a bunch of sadness. It's like, okay, what do I need to pay attention to? Like, what's going on there? If I feel jealousy, if I feel control, if I feel uh, overwhelm or shame, that's not for me to avoid. But most of us do. We go, can I drink this away? Can I Facebook this away? Can I work this away? Can I work out enough to work this away? You know, and what we don't realize is if we actually just feel and allow the space to feel. We come out the other side so much faster. We really are resilient, but we spend so much time trying to not feel what we feel and put on that happy face. We do it a lot with anger. Like, oh, I can't be angry. 
Yes. And, oh, this is good. (laughs) Um, So I've been exploring anger. And um, I think a lot of us, especially as women, have been told, do not feel angry. You need to be quiet. You need to be pretty. You need to sit in your space. And if you're angry, then you're all of these things. But anger, just like you said, it's just an emotion. It's just this energy that needs needs to pass through our bodies. And so I think the the issue is when it turns into aggression, which is when you're putting it towards somebody else. But anger is just a normal feeling within the body. So can you scream in your car? Can you scream into a pillow? Can you punch pillows? Like release mm-hmm. it. You're allowed to express it. It needs to move through. And once you do, like you said, it's it's past. The more we resist, the more it persists. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and the way I view that is that you are always allowed to feel what you feel, but you're also at the same time, 100% responsible for your actions. So if you have a spouse who cheats on you and let's say uh, has a secret family, if you want to key their car or burn all of their shit in their front yard, or is that understandable? Absolutely. Is it acceptable? No, definitely not. Is your anger warranted? For sure. And are you still responsible if you commit arson? Yes, absolutely. So I see this a lot in in marital relationships where they're so pissed at something their partner did that they feel justified in communicating from a place of anger. And I'm like, no, no, no. Your anger is justified, yes, but you're not going to get through to anybody communicating from that place. So channel it. Like you said, find an outlet to release it. And then the place to look is, are any of these emotions becoming a chronic way of being? Mm. So if I am depressed, has it, have I become a depressed human? Or am I just going through a little blurb here, a little blip on the radar? Um, so that's kind of, I do get that question a lot too. Mm. Like what if that emotion that I'm feeling persists in a longer trajectory. And then, you know, that, that is definitely something that warrants looking at for sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, you said a couple of things too. Um, I think it's important to not identify with whatever emotion you're feeling with or feeling. So a lot of times for a long time I used, I am anxious you are not anxiety. You are experiencing anxiety. Yes. And I feel that when we do that and when we take a look at what story we're attaching to the emotion. Mm -hmm. So, um, I am, I would say I am anxious and then it would go, therefore something is wrong. Therefore Mm -hmm. I need to go into fix it mode there, you know, and it would go down this laundry list of all of these stories that I've attached to what it means to feel anxiety. When in reality, anxiety is just an emotion that is passing through my body. Can I just sit with it, allow it to be there, not identify with it, and then move forward and then see what the lesson is. Why was I feeling that? Okay. I was procrastinating with work, you know, and then you can start uncovering where that may be coming from, or you can just be with it, let it be there and then move on and it's gone. Yeah. 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 I love that. I do. I do something similar as well. And I remember hearing somebody talk about, they were actually speaking about cancer and they said, I have cancer. It does not have me. Mm. And I loved that. So I started using that with anxiety. Like I have anxiety. It does not have me. And it made me feel like, no, I, I am in control of this thing. And that really is a matter of semantics and what 
creates the most relief. Somebody might hear that and go, oh God, I feel restricted. Then that's not your mantra, right? You have to pay attention to what creates an element of relief for you. But even just acknowledging I'm experiencing some anxiety at the moment or acknowledging something that makes it feel like it's a finite, limited amount of time, as opposed to I am branded as such. Yes, 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 yes. I love all of this. Um, So I did want to dig into people pleasing a little bit. And I think that this is a good buildup for that um, because I feel like people pleasing comes from this place of needing to prove their worth or Mm -hmm. being afraid to speak their truth. Mm -hmm. And can we, I'm sure it's pretty self-explanatory of like what people pleasing means, but can we give an example or can we start talking about like what that looks like? Mm -hmm. And then we can just kind of go from there. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I do find that there's people who really identify as people pleaser and they say like, oh, that's definitely me. And then there's other people who assume that a people pleaser is somebody who's just always saying yes. And they're super meek and mild and quiet and a doormat and they get walked on. And I really like to expand the definition as somebody who is highly invested in the opinions of others so much so that it tweaks your own behavior so that you twist and contort to be viewed in a specific way because there's so much investment in what other people think. That is doing things to elicit a specific response from somebody else. That is people-pleasing, essentially. So however you choose to... Whatever you choose to call it is really neither here nor there. It's about looking at where do I do these things? And why do I assume that receiving that love, affection, or approval is now going to stamp me as lovable, worthy, valuable? So uh, the thing with people-pleasing, though, I think that's really, really important for people to understand is that this is actually a part of our primitive makeup. And how we operate as humans. So if anybody out there is familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the major human drivers and our human needs, one of our primary needs is a sense of belonging. And that really comes from our historical ancestors pretty much across the board, wherever your family of origin is from, where you needed to belong to a pack, to a group, for survival. So if you didn't belong, if you were ostracized from the group, that meant death. So we still have that. So many years later, we think if I'm rejected by this lover, I might die. Now I know that sounds really hyperbolic and that's what's happening on a subconscious level. We don't consciously think we're going to die, but that's what's happening kind of in that lizard brain of ours. And that's why we still feel fear when we can't pay a bill the same way we feel fear if we're being held up at gunpoint. Like we still experience the same emotion, but one actually can lead to death and one doesn't, but our body physiologically can't tell the difference. So I offer that to you guys so that you understand that there's a reason why we search out approval because in our minds, we think that's going to ensure my survival. (laughs) Once you know that, you can kind of go, oh, okay, first of all, I'm wired to do this. Okay, cool. And then your conscious mind can step in and go, and I'm not going to die if that person rejects me or if I don't get this deal or if I don't get this job. I'm not going to die. It will be painful. Then there's the opportunity to engage with your emotions. 
but it doesn't have to say anything about my validity or my worth. So that's one huge piece around people pleasing, I think, is just understanding that we all have the pull. We all have the pull the same way we have a fear response. Mm. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is, I think, I think there are a lot of fallacies that we buy into specifically around people pleasing and speaking up for ourselves. And one is if I give voice to something, if I speak up for myself, then I'm actually being a dick. Like I'm being a horrible human who's acting from a place of malice. The other thing that we think oftentimes is I'm personally responsible for causing somebody pain. If they hurt, that's my fault. So that's why we see certain things like a great people-pleasing example is the struggle for people to come out of the closet, right? And if you know that your parents don't believe that that's the right way to live or your family, whoever, and they are going to say, your actions are killing me or hurting me, we go, oh, okay, me living my authentic life and my truth and who I need to be is going to cause pain. And I'm responsible for those people's pain. So I better just shut down self, shut down my desires and how I need to live in this world in order to make other people happy. So it's also this lie that we buy into that we actually have any type of control over how other people feel. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> so, um, something that I've been talking about too and exploring is this, and we touched on this a little bit, but just emotional responsibility and yeah. knowing for ourselves personally, nobody else can make us feel a certain way. If we're triggered or if we're upset by someone, unless they're actually being a mean person and saying very mean things, we're, we're our triggers are just telling us that we have something else to work on internally. We can take in, entire responsibility for our the way we feel and the way we interact in this world. And so that goes for everybody else. If someone is upset by you speaking your truth, that's not your responsibility, right? We can't make anybody feel a certain way. That's they're responsible for that. So that's, I'm so glad you said that. (laughs) Well, I've, I've had to deal with this a lot with my mom because she loves to hand me giant piles of guilt and, you know, has, has asked, it has told me just like how much it just breaks her heart that, that I have Buddhas in my home or, you know, the way I choose to vote. Uh, Cause we obviously are two very, very different political parties. And, uh, and I'm like, likewise, it breaks my heart that you choose to do what you do too, you know? But I also recognize that's not my responsibility. You know, my responsibility is for me. And so there's been times where, she will make me wrong or try to make me wrong. And she genuinely believes it. She believes that I'm wrong and that's okay. And just being at peace with that, knowing that I don't have to prove her wrong, knowing that I can allow her to carry that has been huge and has not been overnight. So, I mean, please know the person that you're listening to right now, it took me many, many years to get to this point where those sorts of comments roll off my tongue without any bite. Uh, You know, she will invite me to church and she fortunately has not done that in a long time because I very calmly said, I know that's not your intention to be offensive at all. And I so appreciate you thinking of me. 
unfortunately that it really is something I'm not comfortable with. And it feels offensive because you know, I don't subscribe to that. My humble request is that you stop inviting me. And I will promise you that if I'm ever interested, I will ask. And I I truly hope you can understand. That's not me being a dick. That's not me being an asshole. What that is, is me saying something to somebody else who is not going to like, who doesn't share my opinion. Am I responsible for her? Absolutely not. I'm responsible for me and how I'm showing up. So I love to say you are responsible for your intention, not your reception. The reception is going to be all across the board. You can't control that. All you can do is decide who am I being? How am I showing up? My intention and who I am. Uh, That's the only thing we can control. But we're told you can't say that to him. That would destroy him. Or, oh, you can't do that. And it's like, no, I can actually. And I can decide exactly how I'm going to deliver that. So yeah, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is realizing that, yeah, speaking your truth might have casualties. Not everybody's going to like it. But it's also recognizing that how they feel about it is not your burden to carry. Yeah, 100%. So a question that I was thinking about is, how, so I know there's a lot of things in life that, um, we resist it because we're afraid. And in the end, it will be a really great lesson for us to do. Um, but there's also situations where it's just like this deep knowing in your body that this is a no for me. Mm -hmm. Um, how can we differentiate between speaking our truth and resisting a lesson? If that makes sense. I think a lot of what you're pointing to is intuition and, um, And that is probably one of the most cloudy concepts in personal development, period, because it's so unique to our own internal compass. And the only thing that I can really advocate for is sort of the difference in how things feel or how they're communicated to you. So I do think that there are times when Where it gets sticky is you typically feel the emotion of fear when you're on to something that you're really being called forth to do and you're just scared to do it. And you also feel fear when it's abort mission, don't go, don't go, this is a red flag. So in each of those situations, it's about unpacking the fear and it's about looking at what am I really afraid of here? If it is something like, what if nobody likes me? What if it doesn't work out? What if it's a bad state of the economy? What if it's not realistic? Something like that. That's usually just your inner critic saying, don't play big. But if it is something where you can't quite put your finger on it and it just doesn't sit well, it doesn't feel right, that is probably your intuition going, hey, no, this is not a good move for you. But deciphering those things sometimes is really obvious. Like if we've, uh, if we have ever had the situation where we're dating someone and you have, ooh, they said something weird, but then they, you do what I like to call the cognitive override, where you go, no, no, I'm just being stupid, I'm being paranoid, I'm blah blah blah, and we don't listen to intuition. So sometimes it's really stark where we can really hear it, and then other times our intuition. We're, it's it's a lot more nuanced and quiet and we're going, wait a minute, I don't, I can't tell if I'm just scared to make this job move or if it's really a bad idea. Like I can't quite tell. And in those situations when it's not as definitive, it's about just making a choice. 
It's mm-hmm. ripping the bandaid off and going, you know what? I'm going to make the best choice that I can with the information I have right now. And then I will course correct. If I hate living in this new country, if I don't enjoy this relationship, <laughs> then I will course correct and I'll figure it out. But here's what I'm going to do with what I know now. But we get way too convoluted with this whole idea of what if I make the wrong choice? It's like, we all do that. We all make the wrong choice sometimes. And there's learning everywhere. And we can always course correct. Yeah. So two things. I think it's about also really just understanding like what a no feels like in your body and just mm-hmm. practicing things that are, are for sure no's in your life. Like, mm-hmm. is my name Stephanie? Yes. Okay. Is my name Amy? No. Like, where does that feel? Where do you feel that in your body? And just mm-hmm. pay attention as, and then, and then just start making decisions my minor decisions in your life. Do I want to wear this outfit today? No. Do I like this kind of food? Yes. Okay. I'm going to have that. And just like small decisions, especially if you're someone who's constantly looking to other people for your choices, see what it feels like to just make those micro decisions in your day-to-day life. And you'll start understanding what the intuition versus the no feels like. And just like you said, if you do make a wrong decision, air quotes here, that you can just, yeah, course change. Of course, you know, change, change it up and and you have the power to do that. That's right. That's right. I actually did a, an episode specifically on that, on, on my podcast actually. And it's one of the areas that I wish I could give people like, here's, it's always this answer. But the thing about intuition is it'll, it'll change in each circumstance. So like you said, there might be a moment when, your you look at your intuition and like, do I want to wear this outfit? And it's a no today, but tomorrow it's a hell yes. That the same thing happens in business decisions, in uh, relationship decisions, things like that. So there might be one day when it feels like, you know what, the most important way to spend my time is I have to get a workout in. I have to take care of my physical vessel. And then the next day, it's not that answer. The next answer is no, I have to have community and connection with with other people in my life. I need human connection. That's paramount today. But it's looking internally and going, what's the yes today? Where Where is that? And you don't get that from looking to everybody else for the solution, like you were mentioning. So it's changing that habit of you know, not always asking for permission, not always asking everyone else what they think you should do and just start tapping into to self and seeing the direction. Yes, I love it. So... I know we have a hard stop and we're running low on time and I wish I could talk to you all day because this, is, this is so good. <laughs> oh, awesome. But is there anything else that we, you want to say before we start closing our time? Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that I always like to leave people with is the idea of really acknowledging where you are because I know it can be really frustrating to listen to these sorts of podcasts and go, Oh, how happy for you. How good for you. And I still look in the mirror and fucking hate myself. And Rome was not built in a day. It really is starting with those small, tiny steps. It could be that you're just saying, okay, I'm going to re-listen to this episode four times. You know, it could be, I'm going to choose to journal instead of binging out on a Netflix series. And then the next day, it might be the next Netflix series. It's okay to choose something different. But what I'm saying is 
be compassionate with yourself and your journey and where you happen to be. It's, it's really just about continuing to take steps forward, not massive leaps. And like I said, and I know this is your case too, Stephanie, like it has not been overnight. This has been well over a decade in the making from, and, and that's with acute focus on communication and speaking up and what, it, what affects change in humans and all of that stuff. So please, please, please be gentle with yourself on your journey and just ask, what's my one baby step? What is the first thing that I can start doing? A lot of times what I'll tell people is right at the top of your journal, I am responsible for my intention, not my reception and see what comes up. See where the sticking points are. All of that is learning. All of that is progression. Mm, yes. Yes. And I, I always say too, um, you might logically understand something, but it might not hit your body mm-hmm. for a year or however, you know, but being aware and making personal development, your own journey and not a destination. I have right. to get, I have to do this so that I can feel this just one step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time. And not beating yourself up for not doing something that you should be doing. It's make it your journey and that's do right. what feels good to you. Because right. in the end, that's why we're all here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you don't arrive. You never arrive. No. And I did a, a podcast episode on that too, where it was like, I thought I already dealt with this. And it's the whole concept of like, you're never done. So acknowledge that you know, basically what we're doing is we're flipping the ratio. And that's what I usually tell people. That's our, that's our goal. So instead of feeling shitty 80% of the time, and then having a couple bouts of confidence, like 20% of the time, we're flipping the ratio where you're just happy a majority of the time. And then you still have to contend with some shitty stuff, like 20%. You're still human. We're just changing the barometer. We're changing the come from, but that doesn't mean you're void of hardship or that you're done. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think just having awareness is such a cool thing. Like yeah. thinking about all of this as a, a game, you know, like something comes in, you're like, cool, how can I get curious about this? Like, this is an awesome opportunity that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. And so for us to just take resp- re- emotional responsibility and just have awareness, mm-hmm. that's so cool. And that's, yeah. I think that that's just the number one way to get started is I had more awareness today than I did yesterday. Awesome. I'm already one step forward. Which is huge because like we were talking about earlier, most of the problem is in the subconscious. So when you start creating the awareness around it, now you have the power of the conscious and the subconscious. And that's unreal, you know, in affecting change. So yeah, baby steps, my friends. I love it. Amy, where can people find you if they want to connect? Yeah, pretty much my little corner of the internet is thejoyjunkie.com and junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. And I have, I mentioned I have a weekly podcast I do with, with my hubs and we've been doing that for gosh, almost six years now, which is crazy. But all, I have a bunch of freebies over there, workbooks and and all sorts of stuff. So I, I also hang out on Instagram. That's my primary platform. I prefer to connect with people on under the handle, the joy junkie. And yeah, I would love for anybody to come out and hang out and hopefully learn some stuff. Awesome. I will make sure all of that's linked up in the show notes. And Amy, thank you so much for your time, for talking with us and for your insights. I really super appreciate it. This was great. Oh, I've had a blast. I've had a blast. Thank you.
<laughs> well, thanks everyone for being here and we will all chat soon. Hi friends, if you're still here, thank you so, so, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or just enjoy the podcast in general, it would mean so much if you could share it with a friend or a family member or tag me on Instagram and let me know that you're listening. If you want more resources, pop on over to www.stephanie-danglson.com and until next time, stay radiant.